parable of the prodigal son. And only Jesus tells a story like this. Nobody else ever told a story like this. Only Jesus. Um, We've been in a series called God Our Father. And it's all about what does it mean that God, what kind of father do we have? That God is a father to us who he has redeemed to become his children. And um, I have a projected 12 messages out of this. We have six more. Um, But this will be... um, the last one where we spend um, out of this text, Luke chapter 15. And so I'd like to read the text one more time. Um, Last week I gave a message about how good people don't get God. (laughs) How good people are the ones that have the the hardest time, they're the farthest away from God. It's a really wild idea. And it's particularly out of the second half of this story, especially from verse 25 on, And today is a kind of part two of that idea, why it is that people who are good, so to speak, have a harder time getting God, who who God is and what he's about. And and I believe that the second portion of this passage gives us answers for that. And so I would like to especially ask you to pay attention to the second portion of this story when I get to it. It's about uh, when I get to the older brother, but let me read the the whole story, okay? Verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11. This is the word of God. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, that's the older son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, Look! These many years I have served you, 
and I never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me pray for today's message. Lord, uh, (laughs) I just feel like it's such a hard message to preach today. Um, It's hard because I just, what I'm trying to convey is just so huge. It's so crazy. I don't even know if I get it very well. But I pray that though my lips stumble and bumble, your spirit would come and convey the depths of what this passage means when it says, when the Father says, all that is mine is yours. Help me to do that today. And may your people hear this truth, receive it, and be blessed, be changed. And a spirit of sonship, that which comes from Jesus, would settle into our hearts and we would know you, Father, and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to talk, start this message by talking about unfairness. Hmm. If you understand this story, it's a deeply unfair story. Everything about this story is crazy, crazy, ridiculously unfair. I'd like to ask you to start off by talking about unfairness, right? Do you feel like in your life that you have gotten the short end of the stick, you know, that you haven't quite gotten like everything that you feel like you should have gotten, right? Like something else should have come to me. This should have happened or that should have happened or this shouldn't have happened. You feel like, you know, that things have been unfair in your life. You know, um, I'm the father of three children. When you have three kids, you know, you, you hear this thing often. This is a phrase that you hear a lot. That's not fair. <laughs> you know, any of you parents, can you relate to me? Have you heard that from your kids? I can't even tell you how many times I've heard that from my kids. I mean, it's just crazy. If you gave me like a dollar for every time my kids have said that, I mean, I would have a lot of money, right? <laughs> if, but you hear that phrase. And a lot of times you hear this from kids, but I think everybody says it, even if they don't say it with their mouth, right? We live in this society in America. Our society, it's it's a society full of great prosperity and great opportunity. And so we believe this idea that you can really get what you want. If you work at it, you dream at it. If you do all the right things, then your life will turn out good. Your life should be good. And we love this. You know, we, we believe, you know, our society believes so much and loves the success and the good life so much. I mean, I think our, we, we are, um, are a society that's so in love with winning. We love this so much that we just hate losing. I mean, we hate it. We hate losing We hate loss. We hate in any way in which it doesn't work out for us. And if it doesn't work out for us, 
then in one way or another, we feel like we're getting the short end of the stick. I mean, don't you just, like, like you could be a good person. You could be a smart person. But in some way, are you the kind of person that just dislikes that other people are just, they're just kind of naturally born skinny, right? Those people that can eat a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's and they don't have to exercise and they're still skinny. Doesn't that suck that you're not one of them, right? And doesn't it stink that some people have a really thick and luscious hair and you don't, right? And doesn't it stink that some people are just tall and they were just, they had certain kind of parents and that just gave them a certain kind of attention so that when they walk in the room, they just have a certain confidence and outgoingness. They're tall, so you know they just stand above everybody. And they got nice hair. <laughs> and, and, they, and, and they're skinny. And, and they just have a nice personality. And then other people just like them. And they didn't deserve any of these things. They didn't earn any of these things. They're not even nice people. They're not even good people. They didn't even do everything you're supposed to do. But they get these things. And doesn't that just stink? Right? And it's just, you just feel, it's just not fair. But you know, the unfairness of it gets worse. Like, I've been a pastor for a long time. I mean, I know that I look like a young guy, but I'm not really not that young, all right? And, um, and I've been a pastor for long enough to have been around a lot of people, and lots of Christians especially. And, you know, this passage that we're looking at, we're looking at the latter portion of this passage. When people look at this story, they love the radical love of the father toward the younger son, right? But they don't often pay attention to this older son. And you understand what this older son is saying? He's saying, it's unfair. Why do I have to show up at that stinking party for your rat no good son who stinking screwed up our lives? Why would I have to show up for that? That's really what he's saying. And you know what? He's absolutely right. It is incredibly unfair to him. But you know, we in America, I mean, you know, it's, 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 the NFL started last week, you know, it's a regular, I'm, and I'm a big football fan, and you watch these football games, and, you know, you watch any game, and there's like 60 to 80,000 fans in the stadium, and anytime something goes wrong in the game against their team, you can feel like the whole crowd, the way they cheer or they boo, and they just start blaming. And they start getting angry when the, the loss starts to happen. You know what that is? I feel like it's the whole spirit of America. <laughs> we're losing. And, and we're losing, we just start getting angry. You know, I'm a football fan too. And, um, you know, you might, like, hate me for this. But please don't hate me for the fact that my, my favorite fan is the Dallas Cowboys. Right? <laughs> and I don't know why. I mean, well, I do know why. But well, I can explain to you another time. But, like, even though I'm from California, that's my, that's my team. And I love watching those games, right? But I hate it, hate it when they start losing, right? And it's so crazy that I don't just hate, I don't just hate the other team for beating my team. I start hating the refs. I start hating my own team. <laughs> I look at my quarterback I'm like, he's an idiot. I start like, the coach was stupid for calling that play. I hate the guy who made the mistake that made my team like get, to turn out badly on that play, I just start getting angry that 
we're, we're, I'm, that my team, so it's weird. I love watching the game, and I hate watching the game, and I hate watching the game, and I start to hate my team because I love my team. It's crazy, isn't it? But in that is a little microcosm of, I think, the American spirit of how we look at our life. My life, it's not fair. And you don't say it quite out loud like that, but like, you don't actually say it's not fair because then you would sound like a four-year-old or you'd sound like my, my seven-year-old daughter. But there's a spirit inside of people, and it's especially inside of people who do all things right, who do all the, thing, all the good things, right? And when things don't turn out right in our culture, in our society, we start to feel like you're losing. You start to feel like you're getting kind of the short end of it. But like... I was supposed to at least be here, but I, I'm here. How come I'm not this tall or, this, or, or how come I didn't get this success or how come my kids didn't turn out like this? And it gets worse. You know, I've been around Christian a long time. And some people, they, they're not happy with their lives because the world is unfair. Their life is unfair. How about this? They have to blame somebody I blame my team. I start blaming the refs. But you know, we, have to, we even have to blame. It's like there's no, it's not, it's not anybody's fault. But wait a second, God made my life this way and God made certain things happen this way. So it's God too. God is unfair. You know, this whole story is set up to speak to all of you who look at God and he's supposed to be your father, but this father is unfair. And in this father, he, he, he is unfair. I mean, this, in this story, this father is so unfair. It's crazy unfair, right? And this story is set up to tell you, talk to you. And I met people. I mean, and, and it's, it's weird the things that we feel give us the short end of the stick, right? I mean, you can understand, like, you know, the guy who's naturally skinny or tall or got a nice personality or something like that. But it's things like this. The person who didn't get married by a certain age... They're unhappy with their life. Sometimes they're sad. Sometimes they're bitter. Sometimes they're angry. Sometimes they're just really disappointed. Or some combination of all of the above. On Monday they're sad. On Tuesday they're bitter. Wednesday they're angry. Thursday or one week they're this. All of it. But it it stems back to this, I didn't get married by this time. Okay, how about this? Somebody else, they did get married. Let, let me make it even worse. They married the person they wanted. Their husband was tall and good-looking and successful. Their wife was like, you know, she was shapely and she was hot and, you know, like, at least hot enough for him, right? So they actually married the person they wanted, right? But then later on, six, seven, eight years into the marriage, it broke down. They did everything they were supposed to do. And now it's not fair. I've got this friend. He's not even a good person. <laughs> this person's not, he doesn't do everything right like I'm, I did. He didn't do his education right. He didn't work hard at his job. He doesn't even go to church. But his marriage is still intact. In fact, his marriage is happy. And I'm divorced and I'm miserable. Okay? So some people are like, it's not fair. I got the short end of the stick. Okay, how, okay, another one. You, you married somebody good. That person married. You, you didn't get divorced, but your marriage is just mediocre at best. It's just kind of, just 
plods along. You have a friend. They're not as good a person as you. They're not as good a Christian as you. But their marriage seems happy. (laughs) They're happy. God, you gave them this. It's unfair. Where is my goat (laughs) that I can celebrate with my friends? Where's my party? All right, one more. Some people are really unhappy because they didn't get kids. Man, that's a painful one. Right? If you're there, and if any of these things, I'm not, any of these things I'm saying, I hope that I'm not, tr- you don't think I'm trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to speak honestly. Right? But then there's another set of people. They got kids. They have like four kids. But one of them caught a disease or got into a really bad accident. And they became maimed. And now it's on you. And now your life is really hard because your kids, this other person, they have three kids. All those kids are perfect. My kids, I've got the one screw-up kid or the one damaged child or, and it's just really painful for me. Unfair. Now, let me just say something to you to start this message. Wow, this is like really hard and painful to start this, right? <laughs> let me just tell you something. God is not fair. <laughs> you know, if you didn't already know that, right? But God is better than fair. That's what this passage is trying to tell you. He's actually better than fair. It's, it's like he's not fair, but he's better than fair. It's really weird, right? I'm going to say that. Let me say a second thing about this. Everything about this story, it's offensively, crazy, ridiculously unfair. And let me just, 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 just like lay it out a little bit for you. The father, he's a good father. He's got two sons. Second son, younger son, decides to get up one day and basically give a super verbal middle finger to his dad. I mean, it's like the combination of middle finger and let me pull out a dagger and jam it straight into my dad's heart. He might as well have done that. Dad, I wish you were dead, because you're just an inheritance to me. You're just money. Would you please be dead so I can get my money? (laughs) But since you're alive, why don't you just give me the money instead? That's basically what the second son says to him. I mean, it's like crazy. The father, then, if, if, if the story ended well... Like, I'm a person that really likes things to turn out with really good justice. You know, like, I'm one of, if you ask my wife, we watch a movie, if a bad guy does something really evil in the movie, I just turn to Grace and go, hey, I hope there's a happy ending. And she knows what I mean by that. What I mean by that is that dude dies <laughs> at the end. He doesn't get arrested. <laughs> he doesn't, like, go to court and then I'm in prison. I want him to, like, die a gruesome death. And I'm like, <laughs> it makes me happy when the mo- that that's what happens at the end of that movie, right? If if this story, the way it starts out, if this second son were to die some gruesome death, I'd be like, yeah, that was a good story. I make that make me happy, but so unfair. The father rips apart his estate, and in this society, I mean, it's not like money's fungible. He has to. Sell everything and take one-third because the second son gets one-third. The first son gets twice the portion. So he gets, even that's unfair, right? He gets twice the portion. So he gets two-thirds, the inheritance. The second son gets the one-third since there's only two. The father has to rip apart his estate. 
He makes himself one-third poor. Then the second son goes off. He takes everything of this one-third, and he completely screws his life over. And it's so bad that this is the Jewish way of saying, like, rock bottom, bottom, absolutely disgusting bottom. When he wants to eat things that pigs eat. Okay, I don't even know. We don't even have an equivalent. I don't know what the heck the equivalent is, right? I mean, I don't know. Do you, if you guys ever know what pigs eat? I don't even quite know what pigs eat. It's probably disgusting and bad, right? But to the Jewish mind, pigs are unclean animals, and to eat what one they want to eat is to really say you are, you've just completely screwed your life. You are nothing. You're worse than nothing. So that's the son. And then he comes home. And then the end gets worse. The father throws this lavish party, and he takes the most expensive, the best piece of meat that he had. And meat is really expensive and pricey and precious in this culture, you should understand. So the one that is set aside for the most important occasion. So this is like your Kobe beef here, okay? And then he throws this party for this ridiculously stupid, disgusting son, and then he has everybody else to show up, so then they have to like, gosh, I have to go to this party too now. And so it is so, so the father is not only unfair to just give him the money, he's unfair to throw him a party. It's unfair to have his best robe on this disgusting son, his ring on this son, right? And now, now, we go to the older son. The older son is pissed. He is ticked. He is angry. He is outside the father's will. He's like, no. And you know what he's saying? It's not fair. You know, what, what he asked for is this. He's like, how can you do this for him when you don't even give me a goat for my friends? And you know what a goat means here? A goat is like a lesser animal. It's like a cheap animal. So what he's saying is, what I've asked for is very modest. <laughs> what I would want is just a goat. He's getting a stinking fattened calf. I just get a goat, okay? I mean, I don't need a hot husband. I just need a decent husband. I don't need to live in a mansion. I just need to live in a nice three-bedroom place. I don't need to drive a Mercedes. Just a nice Acura will do, <laughs> okay? All right? You know, God, a goat. Come on, goat. Father, right? I don't, you know, how about some people, I don't need a great husband. How about just a husband? I don't need to have like perfect kids. How about a kid, <laughs> right? You know, at some level, we all have this short end of the deal. The spirit of this young man, this older son. Now, let me say that in fairness, it's worse. If the father restores this no good second son, back to the family, to the sonship, you know who, who's going to pay for it? The older son. Because all the inheritance now belongs to whom? The first son, right? It, it's all his. After he died, I mean, one third is gone. All the rest of it is, belongs to him. So when the father is gone, the older son gets everything. It's his. But if the father restores the second son back to him, you know what's going to happen? The older son's going to say, oh my gosh, one-third. Just think about that. How would you like some rat person to show up at your house and you're like thinking, everything that I'm worth, everything that is mine, 
Let's just divide that by one-third and give it up. How would you feel about that? This guy is not happy, right? And he is saying, it's not fair. What the heck, right? You know, um, we try to be very good in life, do all the things in life. In America, we really, we really believe this. We really do believe this. If you really are good in life, everything will, you'll have a good life, right? That's why we just get so angry even when the football team starts losing, right? And um, everybody thinks they can win a championship. Hey, what if your t- team doesn't win a championship for your whole life? Hey, it happens, right? Why can't it happen to you? Why can't it happen to your city? You know, this is kind of a second week, you know, why people who are good can't get God. You know, last week I gave an answer from this passage. It's just who God is. God is a radically weird, unfair God. But he's better than fair. He's unfair to be better than fair. And what he does is his love for his children, even the wretched ones, is so deep. His poor ones, his wretched ones, his stupid ones, is so deep, he will radically give out wealth and goodness to people who have absolutely no business receiving it. It's just not fair. That's how unfair he is. And so if you want to live your life on the fair game, you're just not going to get God. You're crazy not going to get God. And... Because you want to be on the fair game, you're like, I won't show up at the party where you radically spend on the stupid people, right? If you don't want to show up at that party, you don't want to join the party. You don't want to be a part of the evangelism. You don't want to be a part of the celebration. You don't want to be about all that the church does to seek and save the lost. And you just won't get God. That's what I talked about last week. You won't get that. You won't get who God is. But today, I want to offer you this, verse 31. I think there's another reason why you don't get God. It all has to do with this unfairness issue. In verse 31, the father says to this, this older son, and if you are an older son type, I want you to hear what Jesus says. He puts this in the father's mouth. This is the father's words to you. This is just the father's words in a story. It's the father's words to you. He says this, son, You are always with me. Please don't feel like you have the short end of the stick. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And for the rest of this message, what I'd like to do is try to explain from the Bible the meaning of that phrase, all that is mine is yours. What the gospel means by that when it says all that is mine is yours. Because you know, this older son, you know, it's... The Bible, this passage doesn't say so, but this older son, it's begging for you to say, there needs to be another son. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a rat son, and then there is, there is a self-righteous son, but he actually has a beef. Because what the Bible is trying to say is there was another son. He is the son. He's the oldest son, so to speak. And that is the son of God. And what I want to explain to you today is something that the Bible calls, you know, it goes, it goes back to the Trinity and it goes to the very nature of the gospel itself. 
And I want to try to explain to you how unfairness is inherently right in what God is going to do. Right into the gospel. Right? Now, in order to do this, let me ask you to go to a passage. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 24. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Now, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians, it's, fa- it's famous because it's a, it's a, um, Paul is giving a description and a discussion about the nature of the resurrection. But right in the middle of this discourse, he has this little comment. He has this little comment, which in it is an explanation of the history and meaning of the whole of life, actually. Right? And this is what he says. Chapter 15, verse 24. Then comes the end. That means the end of history. When he, that is Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power for he, that is Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Let me just stop there, right? Go back. Then comes the end when he, that is Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Now, let me listen, listen. I'm, I'm trying to teach you something really big and condense it into like 10 minutes here, okay? And after, after this one little verse. The Bible teaches that God is a holy trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Whether you're a Christian or not, you've probably heard this, right? There's one God, eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And before God made anything, before there was any creation, before there was a speck of dust, angels, demons, nothing, God was wholly perfect and utterly rich in and of himself. You think God needs money? <laughs> God doesn't need money. God doesn't need a house. God is utterly, completely rich and self-sufficient of himself. And you know how it works? The Father pours everything that is glorious and beautiful and wonderful in him, and he pours it into his Son. And you know what the son does? He's like, thank you, Father. And then he shares it back with the Father. And in it, this sharing is so beautiful that the St. Augustine calls that like the, the third person in the Holy Spirit is like the riches of God himself, that he's so beautiful that he's actually another person. And so God, all the totality of his kingdom, so to speak, says God the Father is the ruler of all things, right? Before there's a kingdom, there's only the, the Holy Trinity and the Father rules the rule of all. He gives everything to his son. So the son, the son of God, the only begotten son of God, the oldest son, so to speak, before there was any other sons, he has everything. And the theologians have a, have a word for what makes sense of the gospel. The father and the son made a deal. It was the most crazy, ridiculous, unfair deal ever. And the theologians have a word for this deal. They call it the covenant of redemption. It is a deal, so to speak, an agreement. It's a covenant that the Father and the Son made in eternity before there was any history. The Father and the Son made this deal, if I want to call it that. Here's the deal. Son, what you have for me is everything, isn't it? Isn't it glorious? Yes. What I want you to do now is I'm going to make a whole bunch of other people. And they will also be sons. Sons and daughters. Right? And, but, 
they're not going to be good sons like you. They're going to be rats. And they're going to screw it all up. They're going to screw it up whether they take all my goodness and run it off and squander it or they're going to screw it up because they're going to think they're righteous when they're really rats. And they're going to complain about unfairness. And what you're going to have to do is I'm going to give them a kingdom which is partly mine. And I'm going to give it to them. And then one day they're going to screw it up and you're going to have to go down and you will have to get the kingdom which is mine, which I'm going to give to you. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to lose. You're going to lose. That's what's going to happen. You're going to lose. I'm going to lose. You're going to lose. You're going to have to pay a cost. And you're going to have to go win this kingdom back. And the way you're going to win this kingdom back is you're going to lose the worst thing you could possibly ever lose. You're going to lose everything that I give you. You're going to lose it all. Absolute, ultimate, complete unfairness. That's the deal. And in this little verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, there's a little microcosm of this, of the, of the, of the story that's coming across. So the son comes. He now has to have a kingdom which was his, <laughs> but now he has to win, win back. I mean, isn't that crazy? He never had to earn it before, but now the father makes him earn something that was already rightfully his. And now he has a chance to lose something which he never had to lose in the first place because the father made a deal, a covenant, which he never had to do, but he did. For what? Here's why. So that one day the son who has all of the kingdom, he will win all of his kingdom. He will give this kingdom back to his father. And you know what the father is going to do? Everything that is of him, of his glory, all his riches, all of his love, his truth, his glory, his wonder, his grace, all his, that, that belongs to the father. When the son gives it back to him, the father is going to give it to all his sons, because all his sons and daughters. So you know, and what's going to be poured out on all his sons and daughters? What was given to the son in eternity. That's what he's going to pour out. What the father poured out, all his riches and all his glory and all his splendor and all his heart and everything that he's about, because it is worth a zillion times more than money. Right? He's going to pour the complete totality of that on all these other sons, even though they're rats. <laughs> and this other son has to pay and give up a portion of his inheritance so that all these other sons will get the fullness of all that belongs to the Father poured on them. That's what that verse all means. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. The son is going to go off lose the greatest unfairness so that all that the Father has given to him, then the Father will give to rat sons like you and for me. The rats who go off into and hang out with prostitutes or the rats who stay in the church and just complain all the time and stay out of the party and just say, hey, 
Where's my goat? Where's my share? Where's, where, 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 where's the fairness to me? Right? You know, um, I'd like to close this message this way. In Romans chapter 8, there's one other passage. And I'll go there. In Romans 8, there's one other passage where it's a famous and important passage where the Bible talks about sons. It also talks about inheritance. Because that's what this whole story is about. First, there's John, I mean, Luke chapter 15. It's all about sons and inheritance. But there's another place in the Bible where Romans 8 talks about sons and inheritance. And it's in, let's go to verse 14. It says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you give your life to Jesus and the Lord puts the Spirit to you, you are a son. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're adopted sons, not the begotten son. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And listen, verse 17. And if children, then heirs. You know what an heir is? An heir is one who has an inheritance. The one is an heir is one who gets an inheritance. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If you are a child of God, you have an you are an heir with Christ. And what the Bible is saying here, when, what Jesus is saying to you is, when in your life you have like a short end of the stick, you've been trying to be a good person, and if you say, here's what the, here's what the Bible has to say to you, when you go to God, and He really is your Father, His Father, Father will say this to you, don't you understand? You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. The Bible is not fooling when it says that. All that is mine is yours. Everything that the Father poured out on Jesus, the Son, the very only begotten divine Son of God, He wants to pour out on you. He will pour it on you. That is your inheritance. That is yours. Right? And so if for a period of time in this life, right, for 50 or 70 or 80 or 90 years in this life, if it's somewhat unfair to you, can you remember that it won't be so like this forever? That one day, that there was one who took the deepest, craziest unfairness upon himself so that giving to you, he can say this. He could tell the story to you, and he can say, the Father says to you, all that is mine is yours. Everything that he gave me, he's going to give to you. Everything that I had to lose, I want it back so I can give it back to the Father so he could give it to you. It's yours. It's yours. You don't have to be so worried. You don't have to be so unhappy. You don't have to be so resentful. It'll all be yours. Let me close with this verse. It says in verse 18 of Romans 8, this is the way Paul puts it, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us.
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, how could Jesus have done this for us, taken this great unfairness and this loss? How could he have done it? Is it because Jesus is just God and he's powerful and he's so good? Let me offer this to you. I think because he has known what it's like to have the Father pour out all his riches and self on him from eternity. For him to know the Father is going to give me all himself to me. And when the Father does that for you, he will know it's worth it. That's why even Jesus said the present sufferings of his cross was worth it. It's not worth comparing to what the Father is going to give to you. And so you, in this present time, let me ask you, right? Just, you know, just stop thinking about your striving for a second and your wanting and your comparing for, for a little bit. And just remember that verse, verse 31, chapter 15, verse 31, all that is mine is yours. And Jesus knows this. And he wants to say to you, all that is the Father he's going to give to you. Will you believe that? And today as we go to the table, you know, no matter what loss you've received, you may have lost loved ones, you may have lost out on certain opportunities, you may have had certain hurts in your life, you may have certain things that don't pan out. Would you remember that verse, that because of Jesus and the great profound unfairness of the Father to himself and to his Son, he was unfair to himself so that he could be more than fair to us. Let's pray. Lord, we're so fixated, constantly looking at our friends and our neighbors and coveting what they have and comparing what they got to what we got or what we don't got to they got or why we got this raw deal but they got a good deal and how we don't have our goat. Lord, when what you have for us is better than a goat, it's better than a fattened calf, it's everything of yourself, Father, which you have poured out on your only begotten Son. And the gospel is that you make space. You make space at your table to pour out yourself, not only on your only begotten Son, but all of us who don't even deserve to be called your sons, who are rats, Lord. And so thank you Thank you that you made this ridiculous, unfair deal. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for accepting the craziest unfair deal so that you can give us something we could never deserve. Help us, Lord, just to believe this. I pray for all my brothers and sisters, especially they're struggling in their lives, unhappy, bitter, or sad, or disappointed, Lord, that they would take Luke chapter 15, verse 31, and this seed would go into their mind today and it would just begin to grow and grow and grow and grow a powerful fruit of peace in their heart the way it does for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.